welcome to the show. I'm so excited to chat with you today. I'm excited to be here. Let's do this. Let's do it. Um, first of all, I always, I, I always um, when I interview other podcasters, and I'm like, what does it feel like to be on the other side of the, the interview, you know? So mm -hmm. do you, do you, are you a guest often or you're mostly doing the interviewing? That's a great question. I do, I guess on occasion, but I do it kind of in seasons. Like I'll time batch out, you know, like maybe a week I'll be a guest for one week out of the month. And, but most of the time I am just interviewing on the other side. It's a different experience. It is. <laughs> right? Yeah, you're like in the hot seat. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us a little bit more about, you know, your background, your career story, entrepreneurship story you're doing. You're a very dynamic guy. So tell me a little bit more about you. It started in college, I would say. Well, I would say it started way before college, actually. I've always had the entrepreneur bug. I've been the person that was selling chips at lunchtime during school. And I would get called into the dean's office and they would say, you can't be selling stuff at school. And I'd be slinging candy bars out of my backpack. I think that's the origin story of the entrepreneurship bug. Uh, my career professionally, I went to college and got a degree in software engineering became a software engineer for the Department of Defense, which soon turned into a software project manager for about four years. I quit. I went all out on a finance course, like teaching people how to invest their money and how to get out of debt because I came out of school with a massive amount of debt that I paid off in 11 months. I just grinded it out and I wanted other people to be able to get to get out of debt quickly. After that, it tanked. I did terrible on that endeavor. Uh, so then I pivoted to doing gigs on Fiverr. And since then I pivoted into now I run a podcast service agency. So entrepreneurs that want to show up to the microphone and have everything else taken care of. That's what the agency is all about. That's a real overview of what I've been doing recently. That's awesome. And I, I do want to talk a little bit about your um, journey, because I think it's so interesting on so many levels, uh, how you paid off the debt, because it's so relevant to everything. I, uh, you know, my audience knows I, I go into rabbit holes, I'm gonna and I'm gonna avoid this on this one. But I, I, you know, when you graduate from college, and you're in debt, and then you kind of get a job, and you're almost stuck with it. And that's what keeps you going and stuck in a job that you usually don't like. And so the fact that you're able to get rid of that and and, and create this lifestyle and, and the work that you truly enjoy is, is amazing. I think a lot of people could benefit from hearing that story. So tell me a little bit more. I've read on your website your story, but I want you to tell it yourself. <laughs> Happy to. I went to college. I went to a private university. I should start with that. And it cost about $43,000 a year, which is already outrageous. I got half of it paid for in scholarships and grants. So it ended up being about $20,000 per year. I graduated a year early. So I came out with 60 grand, 60 grand. That's, that's way too much. I mean, I know there's people out there that have more. And the strategy that I came to, to pay it off was I'm going to live in my car. You know, I'm going to move into a 1986 Chevy Suburban that was given to me by my sibling's dad with the condition that I would live in it. And it just became an obsession for me. I, was doing essentially whatever it took to pay off the debt as quickly as I could, meaning I was working 60 to 80 hour weeks. I was not eating because I wanted to save every penny like I wouldn't spend on food. So I became very malnourished over those months. And then around probably around the eight or nine month mark, maybe a little bit before that, my best friend, I got him a job at the same place he moved into the car with me. So then there's two people living in the car and we were both paying off our student loans and just working like crazy and um, 
they they launched a government investigation on me because they thought I was a bum stealing from the government. It was yeah, that's in in short, that's essentially what happened. I worked a lot, I ate a little, and I lived in a car, and I ended up paying it off pretty quickly. Oh gosh, so you did that for eleven months. I so I paid it, yeah, I paid it off in eleven months. And then I ended up living in the suburban for probably close to three years. Wow. It's kind of a long time. Yeah. I needed a I needed to stack the bread on top of it. You know, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't just break even. <laughs> I get that. I mean, I have so many questions around like how, uh, you know, like what did you would not to spend too much time on this, but I'm just really sure. curious, like what was the I'm, I'm more curious of like what was it that you know, because most people, what they do is they just get a job, maybe they get two jobs and three jobs, and they just like, you know, just kind of struggle through through that period, whatever it is, and they take years. But what was it for you that was like, okay, I'm going to set a goal, I'm going to do this in 12 months or less, and I, I want to get out of it and then start stacking instead of a, what well, was there something that happens? Uh, like, what brought that idea? I knew I could keep my expenses low if I lived in a car. I wouldn't have to pay rent. I wouldn't have to pay a lot of the other things that come along with having a home, like furnishing, things like that. Just having the car would be the only payment that I would have. So that was the first kind of inclination to do that. The second was in regards to the goal, I just knew I didn't want anything to control me. And I felt like if I had debt in my life, I was going to be controlled by that money. Like knowing that I owed money to someone is always going to be on my mind. Mm -hmm. And I hated that feeling. I, I only wanted to be controlled by whatever God has for my life. And I knew it had I had to get rid of that debt as quickly as I could. My family actually placed some bets on how long they thought I would last in the suburban. And the highest, <laughs> the highest bet was somebody thought I would last two months. They thought I would quit after two months. And I ended up saying a lot longer than that. So I think part of me really enjoyed that process, though. It was miserable and difficult, but at the same time, I think when we're desperate and obsessed about something, mm -hmm. there's a little part of us that is excited about the possibility of actually pulling something off. So even though I was miserable in circumstance, part of me was like, this might actually happen. I might actually have a shot of paying off all this debt in 11 months. Like, this is crazy in being able to see that progress. So yeah. that that's a lesson I've taken with me into almost all of my other endeavors is how obsessed with that and how obsessed am I about the goal I want to achieve? And what's the sacrifice I'm willing to make in order to achieve it? Mm. No, I think that's that's super, super good to to I mean, that reflection alone. And and it's so it's so interesting that you you had that mindset then. Not a lot of people do, right? So I think the fact that you kind of thought through it and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna give this a shot and do my best and stay focused with it. That's 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 a big one because you can easily break. So the fact that you didn't break, <laughs> and, you know, when you probably could have had plenty of opportunity to, that's that's amazing. And um, what do you feel was the so that that was one biggest lesson for you? What do you feel you learned about? How do I say the? How much do we really need to live a mm. life? You know what I mean? Like, are you super like minimalistic now after that experience? Or I am much more minimalistic. During that time, I think I learned that relationships are really where the majority of the fulfillment in our lives comes from. So at, le at least for me, like when my friends would come visit me and sleep in my car with me, they saw they saw it as like a camping experience or some sort of like weekend thing. But it meant a lot to me because that's all I had was those friendships, those relationships at the time. And really, it's what it what it's what made me happy. And I, I think even today, 
uh, I have a productivity planner and it asks me, what am I grateful for every day? Like I'm writing names down of my friends. Like I'm writing people in my life that I'm most grateful for. I, I don't think there's been, it's rare that I write down a physical object that I'm grateful for, because of course I am grateful to be inside now and to have a bed and, you know, technology and all these things. But if I were to lose those, I can always replace that. Those relationships and the memories that we make, those are, those are priceless, you know, those are forever. Yeah. So that's a big takeaway too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And just, um, and the fact that, you know, like friends that see you in that and kind of support you and, you know, that's, that's the, um, that's the beauty of it. And I, I completely agree. Um, that's, that's a realization I come to, you know, I don't know if it's just with age, you come into that more and more and more with experience in your case, you know, but it's like, that's where it's at. Like you can have everything in the world, but if you don't have those relationships and that love and joy and friendships in your life, it's, uh, like, what's the point of all that? Like, we're we're social creatures, right? So that that's really interesting. Um, so, and now I know you also, from what I understand, you use a habit tracker in your every day. So you you're you're pretty you're pretty. It seems like you're pretty focused and productive guy in general. So tell me a little bit about what do you you know do you how how is that benefiting you? What are you using it for? Yeah, the habit tracker is new, but it has really changed my life in a lot of ways. It's it's bare bones. It's a it's a Google sheet that has all of the habits that I want to do daily. And then next to it, I either put in a zero or a one. A zero is I didn't do the task. A one is I did. And then uh, at the end, it takes a total summation. And I can see how many of these things that I did throughout the month. It's been a game changer for me because something that's been difficult to replicate is accountability with myself, if that makes sense. You know, like I want my I want my own word and promises to myself mean as much as they do to other people, like when I give promises to other people. And I often think that like, you know, you I have in my in my in my life met up with friends and be like, yeah, hold me accountable to this. And then you don't talk to them for a while or something comes up. But this is every day I have to look myself in the mirror you know, metaphorically and say, oh, I put two zeros down back to back for workouts. I haven't hit my workouts. I need to get a one today. That's it's changed. Um, it's changed the game. And I think that similar to how finances compound growth is really where, you know, a lot of the wealth stems from compound growth in regards to our habits is what's going to change the game. If I, and I'll tell you my mistake in my mindset previously, I used to think, uh, if I just reach out to one person today for, you know, podcast, podcast guests, that's really not that big of a deal. You know, maybe I'll just skip that one today. But if I have it every day on my list to reach out to two or three, by the end of the month, I could have reached out to 90 people like that, that builds up really quickly. And it's just a small act. And most of them take, you know, not not a super long time. So that's yeah. the strategy I've been taking to keep myself accountable to the things that I actually want to do in my life. Yeah. That's brilliant. I feel like a lot of people struggle with that, uh, myself included. I'm, I'm also a huge fan of the the habit stuff. And what I've noticed is that when you, you, you like you said, it's you kind of feel bad. You're like, I haven't, you, when you see it in front of you, like, you know, in your mind, you're like, yeah, okay, I'm slacking. But when you see it, and it, like you said, it's like a mirror and you're like, oh man, like I have to put another zero. You're almost ashamed. You're like, okay, I'm going to the gym. I can't put another <laughs> zero type thing. I use something different, but sim similar thing. And it's, and it's, it's, and I, I love that. I love that because it's, um, that's what we struggle with the most. And I'm tend to be a person who I, I'd rather do things for others. So like, if you mm. tell me like, Elena, I need something done. I'm super reliable in that way. Like I'll get it done. But when it comes to myself, you know, um, so I think that that that's really, really interesting to be able to do that. And you're right. It's like these small little things. And that's what adds up. 
Um, and in, in my world of talent development, I see a lot of people struggle with that because mm. when it's in your head, it's very easy to just be like, oh, okay, tomorrow, tomorrow, put it off, put it off, put it off. And then years go by or months go by and you're like, I'm still in the same place where you're like, well, if you look back at your zeros and ones, you probably have a lot of zeros then. Yeah. And, you, and you can't blame anybody for those zeros. So I think that's super interesting. I'm going to definitely share it in the show notes as well, like a habit tracker in case people wanted to uh, uh, utilize one. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, um, absolutely. Let me say this too. Yeah. And it works on the flip side where things that I felt bad or I felt like I was slacking on, I could actually look and be like, I actually did pretty good. You know, there, there's, there's some habits where I, I would think about, I, I haven't really been hitting that, but when you look at the total, it's like, okay, maybe you did 18 days out of the 30 days, but you felt like you're doing five. And now you can look at it and be like, oh, I kind of have some like positive reinforcement here too, where I'm not fooling myself and giving myself these self-deprecating thoughts when in actuality I'm doing okay you know yeah. so I think that's good for re re readjusting too for habits yeah that's a good one as well we tend to be our own worst critics and you're like well no like I did I did my part you know? <laughs> yeah. like, look at all these ones <laughs> like I, I did all these ones <laughs> that's funny um so um another thing you kind of mentioned is the the networking piece and that's what I've mm. kind of gathered from from doing some research on you is you have this thing around building a network and nourishing nurturing those relationships so uh, tell me a little bit more about that I love people. I think that's where the core of it is. Uh, the podcast that I have is I I love sharing people's stories. Um, I think the key with networking is twofold. One, I don't have any expectations when it comes to networking. Like I truly just want to know people for who they are and what they do and make more friends. And I think where people go wrong with networking is they seek to take first like they want something from people first and they you know don't don't think about the other person as a person and the second component is i think adding value i know it's probably like a cliche at this turn like this point you need to add value but i, I think it's true uh, service of others is good for the soul of who we are but also a necessity for for joy and also relationships like be be a, a giver be the person that gives first rather than what can I gain first um and I don't know that's that's been my whole strategy with networking and it's fulfilling to me because I love people and I love helping people too and it doesn't have to be in a specific capacity I'll say that as well mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be if your business is you know you're the finest bed maker in the world but you meet somebody that is like, I'm looking for, you know, the best farmers and your best friend's a farmer. It's a simple introduction too. like, you don't have to be the guy that does all the jobs. You can just be the person that lends a helping hand or introduces people. So mm -hmm. thank you for demystifying all of that, because I feel that there's this cloud and misconception about networking. And I, and I blame the business world and the corporate world for that, because it's, you know, it's, it's almost like seeing this as, you know, big, bad thing where you go network and, and because you need something and that's, that's not that, mm. and, and you know, it's a relationship building and it's being curious and it's as simple as that. And, and I love the point that you said that you don't need to, it's not like you have to, people think you have to add this huge value. Like you have to, you have to be, I, I don't know how to explain, but sometimes just having a conversation 
communication might add value to somebody's day, right? Like just meeting somebody and you don't really know until you have, you put yourself in the situations with no expectations and just kind of like, listen, like, let's just, let's have a chat. And, and, and that's how you learn to figure out like, okay, this is where I can add value to people, right? Um, but it's like getting over that, you know, idea that networking is a bad thing and, and looking at it from a different perspective, I think is a game changer by itself. Yeah. One of my friends, he told me that his core value is connection. So, and he's in the entrepreneurship world. So he'll just hop on calls with people. And I know he, he brings tons of value to them, but he's like, I just want to connect with people, see where they're at and then see where it goes. You know, there's no, there's no expectations around it. And I think that's the way to do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I've learned in my entrepreneurship journey is it can be a very lonely and isolating process especially when it comes to building your business your your close friends aren't in the same world at least mine aren't so it can be difficult to be like you don't quite get what's going on but another component of networking is these are people that share your common interests and people who are quote-unquote competitors of mine that are in the same industry they're my friends I don't look at them as competitors because I'm like you enjoy the exact same stuff I do like let's brainstorm let's come up with cool ideas and and to hang out and talk about the things that we like to talk about. And by taking that approach, I think it provides more innovation to the community that you're in. So if it's the podcasting community, you're brainstorming to help everybody in the podcast community. And then if it's a global scale, you know, imagine how many people you're going to help just by removing that barrier of I need and thinking of others to, you know, help more people. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, definitely having having that community feel is, is very, very important. And um, I'm curious um, from the podcast. So I want to talk a little bit about the podcast, but from the connections you made on a podcast and your guests, what has been some of the biggest revelations to you? Some, you know, some biggest lessons. Uh, do you see a theme across the, the your guests? It's a great question. I think I see a theme in a few ways. I think one leaders the number one trait of a solid leader has been integrity it's someone who is morally driven morally to do the right thing for themselves their company and their people that's the first thing another thing that i see is the people who are excelling at an incredible rate are typically working on themselves as much as if not more than their business meaning that and this is the quote that I heard, I'm stealing this from one of the guests, that your character has to grow at the pace of your career. Because as soon as your career is outpacing your character, you're going to fall short. You're not going to be able to take on the responsibility or serve those people that you need to serve appropriately. So I think I think that's the key. And I, I hate the fact that I used to <laughs> I used to have guests come on and I'd be like, what's your secret? How did you how did you do so well? And they'd always be like, you have to believe in yourself, you know, and I'm like, I believe in myself. Really, what is it? Part of the key, I think, is that self-awareness, understanding your strengths, playing to them and also doing that hard work of reflecting and being like, am I in the wrong? Do I are my weaknesses being projected onto my business? Is my insecurities being projected into my business? Do I need to strengthen my my confidence or my communication skills? What's missing from me that would that is directly impacting my business? Mm-hmm. So I think it's all of that hard internal work that keeps coming up in these conversations. 
Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's something I've crossed come across as well. And I've recently just had a conversation with somebody around like self awareness and self regulation. And I think that's a big one because the self awareness mm -hmm. piece is the e oh, it's not easy, but it's easier than the self regulation. Is like okay, I'm aware I'm doing this thing, or I'm acting and behaving this way, but how do I actually make a change? Mm -hmm. You know um hint habit tracker <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh uh but but yeah it's I, I think that's very powerful one of one of my guests when i was interviewing he 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 gave me a good tip and he said uh um spending just you know how often do we spend 10 minutes a day just sitting with our thoughts and like just thinking you know mm -hmm. like without any interactions without any any no phones no tv nothing like not reading something not just sitting there thinking about like that self-reflection piece you know, and I, and I think we don't do enough of that collectively. I mean, I'm guilty of that as well. That's something I'm, I'm starting mm -hmm. to implement. Um, but that, they're so it's so powerful. But you, I, what I've also realized working with individuals is that it's uncomfortable as hell. Oh, yeah. To be alone. It, some people just can't do it. They have to keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. Um, and sometimes it serves you, right? Like if you're, I don't know, going through a difficult time, sometimes it just serves you to just be busy and just to get over whatever grief you're going through, whatever challenges. But you know, if all in all in all as well, I think it's 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 super healthy to just spend that time, you know. I agree. And I think doing that allows you to find what you actually want. And we touched on focus earlier, and that that was a huge error I made for such a long time. I was constantly jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing and, and choosing every interest I could to be my main thing, when in reality. I needed to sit down, like you're saying, for even 10 minutes and ask myself, are these things I even really want, especially in the day of social media where everybody's doing something that we think is cool and suddenly we need to do that thing that they're doing so we can feel validated about ourselves. I'm not supposed to be a professional car driver. That's not in the cards for me. If I see somebody doing that super well on social media, I shouldn't be like, you know what? I'm dropping everything. I'm going to be a professional car racer. This is it. But I think taking that time, like you're saying, even 10 minutes and asking yourself, what do I want? Is this what I want? What am I doing that's actually going to make me feel fulfilled? And then pursuing those things rather than pursuing everything. Mm. What has been your kind of biggest achievement, I guess, so far, do you think? Whoa, what a great question, Elena. Wow. My biggest achievement so far. I've been in a relationship for eight years now, and I honestly think that's probably one of my biggest accomplishments well, because uh, I think relationships take work and they're hard and they're complex and they take effort and they're rewarding. But I think having a relationship that's been longstanding has, uh, is probably at least top two, top two accomplishment right there. Yeah, I, I think that the, especially in this day and age where it's so um, it, it's it's just it's hard. It's hard in general, like right, like with with all the things. So I think it's it does take a lot of work, a lot of accountability, a lot of communication, a lot of uh, humanity and humility as well. So that's that that's an accomplishment. So kudos to you for real. Um, great. So I want to talk. So tell me a little bit more about kind of where, where can people, you know, who is the audience for your podcast? Tell us, you know, if people are listening and they're like, I really, you know, I, I want to learn about X, Y, and Z. Tell me a little bit more about the kind of people you brought on, where they can find you. Elena, that's so kind of you. Yes. The tagline for the podcast is interviewing entrepreneurs, experts, and entertainers. So, and it's interviewing them with the end result of figuring out how to live a more fulfilling life. So 
if you are someone who's trying to level up your business and also find more fulfillment in your life, it's a great, great place to listen. And you don't have to be, there's no, let me, I don't want to, you don't have to be like a seven figure entrepreneur to listen to the podcast is what I'm trying to say. You can be just starting out or you could be a seven figure entrepreneur. I think it provides value to everybody on the entrepreneurship spectrum um, or someone who is pursuing a passion wholeheartedly. I think that's for you. The podcast is for you. And it's just my name. It's the Nicholas Natalie show. I spell Nicholas with a K and it's found anywhere you listen to podcasts. And I have to ask, because I was really intrigued on your website, a hundred fish sticks. What about? <laughs> yeah. So, oh, that's so funny. Um, so, so when just, I lived just for context, maybe for people, when you go on his website, he has this like really funny counting thing and it says, you know, X, X number of podcasts and videos and, and, and then a hundred fish sticks as of today, I guess. So I, I don't know if, it, if it's always a hundred, but it's been a hundred for a minute, but tell me a little bit more. Oh man, that's great. It was when I lived in the suburban, there was a span of time where I was getting really close to paying off my debt. And this just made me want to go extra hard on trying to like get to it sooner. So what I did was I bought one bag of fish sticks. There was a hundred fish sticks in this bag, frozen, microwavable. And that's all I ate for three weeks. I just parsed them out like two or three a day, two or three a day. And it was so dumb and, and terrible in retrospect. But that's so funny you bring it up. I, I also did, I think a week prior was like, 20 chicken patties and my friend still hasn't let me live it down i like brought it to his house once and he's like you gotta get rid of those things man i'm like this is my meal i'm eating chicken patties every day what are you talking about so that's that's the story behind the fish sticks that's great that's funny and how did you heat them up you had like a, a like a like a thing that you can like the i don't know whatever it's called um I don't, like an electrical something that i don't know how'd you how'd you do that I did have a electrical outlet that I hooked up in my car, but what I would do is I would, I would hide the food in my workplace, like in, in the freezer in the back and pull them out secretly to, to eat them after hours and use their <laughs> microwave. Nice. All right. So my, my last two questions for you is the first one is what is, what is one question you wish people ask themselves more often? I think I'd say, what do you actually want? I think I think in the majority of circumstances that we find ourselves in that require a hard decision, asking yourself that question, what do you want, is going to get to the root of it. I've been having these conversations re recently with people who are in a flex with their relationships. And I don't know why they're coming to me. But but they'll they'll tell me their, their qualms with the relationships and I'll ask them, what do you want? And they usually say, I don't know, but they just spent half an hour telling me I want to break up. They'll say that to me. But when I say, what do you want? They won't say it to themselves. So I think being honest and having that honest conversation with themselves, even and that could go for your business too. like, what do you want? Who do you want to serve is a great question because. You know, if you're if you're not enjoying the clients you're working with, your ideal client is wrong and you're lying to yourself about just getting cash in the door rather than saying, who who are the people that I get pumped up and excited about serving? What do I want for for my business's audience? So that's the first question I would ask. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a good one for sure. Um, it's just it's, it's hard to be honest with ourselves. I think that's what it is. 
it is. And sometimes it's scary. It's scary in terms of like what I've what I've what I've noticed when people ask that question, they um they don't dream big enough almost. It's like we're afraid mm. to ask for what we really want. Um, mm. So I think that's a great question. It's a scary one for for many people, but yeah. And and so the last one is if you had a magic wand to change anything, what would that be? The first answer that comes to my mind is is to prevent sex trafficking in some way. I did a mission trip when I was probably 17 years old, and it's stuck with me. In San Francisco alone, at least at the time, 40% of sex trafficking was going on through that city. And I think it's terrible. And I think it's it's horrible that kids get sucked into it. And I used to live in San Diego, and you know, uh, Balboa Park alone contributed to like around 20%, I believe it is. Um, and just like their trans trans transporting of sex trafficked children. So I think that's top, that's top of the list. I would definitely change and try to get rid of as much of that as possible. Yeah. I'm with you there. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, kudos to you for everything that you're doing. Really, you're, you're, you're doing really cool things and, um, and hopefully inspired some people to, uh, figure out how to how to save how to pay off things um hopefully not on fish sticks but you know whatever yeah. <laughs> whatever works for people and i'm definitely going to include all the links to make sure that people listen to your podcast and continue to learn and kind of follow your journey awesome thanks so much i you're a wonderful host and i should say this too elena's going to be on my podcast soon so click the link in the show notes so you can listen to her on my show as well thanks looking forward to that okay.